Happy New Year! My goodness! We get to have perfect vision 2020. Just pray that God gives us perfect vision. So, I'm excited. Well, tonight, it's been about three weeks since we've been in the book of Daniel. So, tonight we will continue in our Old Testament study of the book of Daniel. And so you can make your way over to Daniel chapter 7 tonight, and we will uh, we'll be breaking it up into two parts. There's so much to cover here, and I was wondering how I was going to do it, and I thought, geez, you know, why do you struggle with all this? Just cut it up. Break it up. Uh, there's no time limit here. So tonight, uh, what we're going to kind of do is kind of go back and look uh, kind of go back in time so that we can look to the future, kind of, you know, kind of a back to the future kind of thing. Maybe that could be a movie or something. Um, but anyways, <laughs> uh, you see, we, we, we're kind of moving, moving back a little bit. And, and I'll tell you, the book of Daniel is broken up into two sections. And what we covered in the first six chapters was the historical section of the book of Daniel. And from chapter 7 to the end of the book of Daniel, we move into the prophetic section of the book of Daniel. And so where we're going to start this evening in, in verse 1, it's going to tell us that we're going back to the beginning of Belshazzar's reign, and uh, which makes it about five 53 BC. That is when he began to co-reign with his father. His grandfather would have been Nebuchadnezzar. His, his, his father was Nabonides. Nabonides. And, um, and so him and his father started co-reigning at a certain time. And so we, we got a picture of Belshazzar back in chapter 5. And in chapter 5, we saw the end of his reign. That is when he died. And so now we're kind of going back. Um, it's interesting because in chapter 5, Daniel was like getting into his 80s. He was about 80 years old. When we get into chapter 6, he is definitely like almost 85, about 83. That is when he's thrown into the lion's den. We always picture Daniel as a young man. Somebody hit me up one day after we studied. I always thought Daniel was a young guy in the lion's den. It's like, no, he was an old man. And so he was about 83-ish when he was in the lion's den. But now we kind of go back, and Daniel is actually about his mid-60s in this chapter. And so again, there's two different parts to the book of Daniel. And it's good that we understand that. So chapter 7, beginning in verse 3. Uh, it might not have rhyme or reason tonight. I was trying to tell T Thomas how I was going to break it up. It's like, I don't know how it's going to be broken up. But we will get through it, and then we'll cover the, another part next week. But it says this in verse 1 of chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions in his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring the great sea. 
And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Let's stop right there for a little bit. Once again, we, we have established, and I've kind of shared with you that we're kind of going back in time. And, and so it's important for us to, to understand that because I think this is where a lot of people get lost. As they're reading, as they're covering certain portions of Scripture, they, they read, especially like, like if you were in chapter 5 and you seen Belshazzar die, or you heard about him dying at the end of, of chapter 5, you get to chapter 7, it's like, wait a minute, how's this guy alive again? What happened here? You know, where's Daniel in all of this? How is this, all this happening? And this is why, again, some people can get lost and get confused, like, ah, I don't understand. And so I can understand that. That it's hard to understand at times, but that's why it is important to have study helps. <laughs> that is why it's important to kind of cross-reference and see where things are at. That's why I think it's important to give you guys timelines, to give you guys some understanding. Um, that's why it's important to also have commentaries. Um, again, you can't live off of commentaries, but one of the things that I learned that in the early church... So many people were commenting on the Word of God, the letters of Paul and the Gospels, that even the commentaries, you could, you could make a case that they were true because of all the commentary that was coming on. Now again, you got to be careful with commentaries because some people kind of go way off base and go this place, and so you got to trust certain commentaries, and some of them you kind of go, eh, and I kind of try to read different ones to give me different perspective. And some of them I go, yeah, you're way off base. And so I just kind of steer back to where I, I believe God has us. And so oftentimes you need all these kinds of things. And sometimes, again, Bible studies is great because, again, there's a guy up here that does a lot more studying to try to give you guys all of this. And so to try to give you a fuller picture. And so I know that oftentimes, especially in the Old Testament, I've given you a lot of dates, a lot of numbers. And some people are going, man, there's so many numbers, man, my eyes are rolling back and because uh, you're, you're losing me. And that's why I think it's important to, to try to understand time periods, to understand where we're at in history. Because again, I just told you, now we've gone back in time that, that again, it was like, Five five uh, fifty three when when he came into to office, but but you get to the point where now he's out of the office, and and it had been like thirty years, and now we're kind of going back, and so all of that is kind of important to try to understand these things, as we uh, better understand the scriptures, and so it's been several years. Well, not several years. It's been a lot of years since Daniel had interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. If you remember back in chapter 2, the guy was only like in his teens when the Lord was already ministering to him and giving him wisdom to understand dreams, to interpret dreams. And so Nebuchadnezzar had a dream back in chapter 2. That was about 40 years ago. Above 40 years ago is when he had that dream that Nebuchadnezzar and the statue and all of that back in, in Daniel chapter 2. Now, this dream here, where we are at, Daniel's not interpreting it for anybody else. Daniel himself is the one that has this dream. And I think it's kind of interesting because later on we will see that he's asking an angel or some, somebody else, some other spiritual entity, what does this mean? Because even Daniel is just kind of looking at this going, Man, I, I, I don't know where we're at right now. 
I don't know what's, what exactly is happening. And so again, it's been some time since he has interpreted a dream. Not to say that Daniel hasn't been used in other areas, because he has. And it seems that, that Daniel was only used every so often as we kind of moved on a little bit in history in the book. But we need to remember that we only get in the Word of God what God wants us to understand and to have. We don't get it all. We get bits and pieces, things that are very important for us to comprehend and to understand. I'm thinking of the verse in John at the end of John where, where, where the apostle said, if we wrote down everything that Jesus said and did, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to contain all the volumes that would have been written of him. And so what we have here in verse 1 where it tells us that he had this dream, it says, and he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. And so he's just kind of giving us a snippet of, of, of what happened. He's not going to go into great detail, even though it sounds like it does. It kind of blows my mind that what we do have is a lot for us to try to comprehend, and yet it's not all the details. He just gives us the main facts of this dream, of this vision. Uh, one commentator believes it's, it's different visions that are happening because he says, he says, you know, that he saw this and then later on he saw something else and then another vision. And so however it was, whether it was four different visions or just one dream with the vision inside of it, it's interesting how all this plays out. Because in verse 2 he says, Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night. And behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring the great sea. Now, oftentimes or a couple times in scriptures, we've seen a picture of four winds. And so the, 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 the reference to the four winds takes me over to Revelation chapter 7, verse 1, where it says, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, Behold, are holding the four winds of the earth, that the winds should not blow on the earth, on the sea, and on any trees. And so here we have this picture of the winds being held up. So if angels can hold the wind from blowing, is it possible, that, could there be a possibility, could it be that they can also stir things up? Now, I know that it doesn't tell us that there's an angel doing this or not doing this. It's quite possible, and it wouldn't be out of the ordinary, for God to use his angels to stir up the seas that we see in this text. But it doesn't tell us that much. But it does tell us that, that the, the, the winds, the four winds of heaven, were stirring the great sea. The great sea... Um, is the Mediterranean Sea. But the word sea in Scripture often stands for the populace. It stands for the masses of mankind. I think this is where we, we get that, that phrase, a sea of people, you know, that there's just so many people. When, when we oftentimes see the sea and what it's doing, it's talking about the masses. It's, it's interesting because there's a crystal sea before the throne of God. And, and again, it kind of symbolizes the people that will be before the throne of God. And so here we see the word sea, which could possibly mean the people. 
So could it be that Daniel saw the angels or whoever it was stirring something up, that he was stirring up the people throughout the ages, the spiritual working alongside the natural or the physical. It's not something that's out of the ordinary as we've seen on Sunday mornings, how God has intervened in people's lives. And so we often see that God, you know, crosses over from the spiritual into the physical and he does his work. And so is it possible here that we see the stirring of people, the, 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 the masses that out of the sea, out of, out of mankind came forth four great beasts. Here Daniel told us what he saw in his dream, in his visions. And he's going to tell us the facts, the main facts about these four great beasts. And so we almost get a picture that if these four great beasts come forth from the seas, from the people, that these four great beasts have something to do with humanity. Now, what we also need to remember as it talks about the seas here. I had a reference in my Bible to the times of the Gentiles. What we need to remember here is that when Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem to, to take the, the, the Jewish people into captivity, in, in 605 B.C. is when that first deportation happened. That is when the time of the Gentiles started. That is when... Jerusalem was now given over to the Gentile people. And so you've heard that term, the times of the Gentiles or the time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles is the days that we're living in today still. Because for, from that time, from 605 B.C. till the time that Jesus sets up his kingdom after the tribulation, when he sets up the millennial kingdom, that is when the time of the Gentiles expires. So that's what we're living in right now. And so that's, this is the time frame, this, this vision that he's getting has already started. Daniel is believed to be one of the first captives taken in that first deportation in, in 605 B.C. So he was part of that time of the Gentiles. He is now having a dream, a vision about it. <clears throat> and so it says in verse 4, as he's talking about the four great beasts that came out of the sea, each different from the other. Verse 4 says, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I saw until its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear. It was, it was risen, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings like a bird, 
the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After, after this, <clears throat> I saw another. I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little horn, coming up among it, among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in his horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. I watched until the thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame its wheels are burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its bloody and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As I was rest as as for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all the people, nations, and languages should, should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall, not be, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed." Now, I, I've, I've had some pretty crazy dreams, but none of them have ever been like this. That sounds pretty amazing, just kind of watching this whole thing. And then the fact that he could remember the whole dream. And I don't know about you, sometimes when you have those crazy dreams, you know, you're going through it, man, it's so real. And then you wake up in the morning, you're going, who am I? Where am I? Why am I? And, and, and you can't remember the whole thing, but you're, you have little bits and pieces of it. And yet, as we read here, and I told you earlier, he's not going to give us a lot of detail. And yet, we have plenty of detail that we have here. And it's like, how did you remember that whole thing? This dream, vision, actually goes along with that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had so many years earlier about the empires that, that started off with the gold and then the silver and then the bronze and then the iron and then the clay. 
How, how, how it was all these kingdoms, these empires that would kind of diminish in, 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 in splendor, although they would become more and more powerful with the, with the types of metals that they had until the end where, where there's iron, but there's mixed with clay, something that's so fragile. And so it's interesting because this goes along with that. And how, how all these empires, these kingdoms would reign throughout the ages. And again, Nebuchadnezzar being the head, being the head of gold, I mean, he, he got pretty pompous in that whole sense because the gold was him. But everything would diminish after that. And it's interesting because Daniel was actually a part of that first empire, the, the, the Babylonian Empire. In this... In this text, he is still part of the Babylonian Empire. But we've already seen in chapter, in chapter 7 or chapter 6 that he also sees the next empire that comes to pass. So you can imagine, because God had given him this dream or, or interpretation of this dream, that he's already seen how God's going to be working. And yet, in this instance here, before he even gets to that next, uh, that next kingdom... He's seeing something and, and it's just kind of blowing his mind, trying to comprehend what all of this means. And so, again, this, this vision that he has, this dream that he has, kind of goes along with Nebuchadnezzar's dream that had happened like 40 years earlier. But Nebuchadnezzar's dream had to do more with the outside, the facade the makeup of the empires, their splendor or their, the lack thereof of their splendor. This vision, even though he doesn't get in a lot of detail, it says, it tells us not all the facts, just, just the main facts. This vision gives us more detail of their characteristics of these empires, if you will. Verse 15, if you will, to verse 17. It says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the vision of my head troubled me. I came near to the one, to, to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things, those great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which arise out of the earth. And so again, it's, it's interesting because sometimes we don't understand Scripture. But if you just continue to read, sometimes the Scripture just interprets itself. Because again, we, we, we see that he, he's talking about a sea. He's talking about these beasts. He's talking about the lion and the, and the bear and the leopard and this crazy other beast and the horns. And he's going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoever this guy is, whether he's an angel or some other messenger, whoever this guy is that he turns to, it's like, can you give me some understanding here? Can you give me the interpretation of what I'm actually looking at? And so he interprets it and says that these four beasts are four kings. Four kings that represent their kingdoms. 
It's interesting because Daniel is troubled by all of this, it says. Later on, at the, at the last verse, it tells us that he was greatly troubled after he understood all the meaning. But at this point, he's just troubled. He's concerned. He doesn't quite get it. And I think what he's mainly concerned about is his people, the Jewish people. If, in fact, these are all kingdoms and we are in captivity right now, what's going to become of the people? And it's interesting because this guy tells them what the interpretations of these things are, and he tells them that they are these beasts, they are kings or kingdoms. And in verse 18, he mentions to him that his people in the last kingdom will be taken care of. But we won't get into that last kingdom yet. But he is so concerned, he is troubled. He's not boastful that, that he has been revealed something. He's not out crusading that he has, he has now been shown these things. He is so troubled within him as he sees basically history passing by. And he sees this ugliness that is happening. And is, and is just the beast. Again, the, the last time we saw this image and it just stood still. And it just kind of gave us the, the, the facade, the outward of what these kingdoms and, and their splendor, their lack, the, the lack thereof would look like. But now we get into the characteristics of each one of these kingdoms and it doesn't look good. And so what I want to do is kind of go back now to chapter 4 or to verse 4. Because you guys probably thought, man, he's just passed a lot of verses. I thought he wasn't going to finish. It's like, no, we're going back. Because now we want to take our time a little bit and look at each one of these beasts. Because here in verse 4, it says, The first was like a lion and had wings, or had eagle's wings. And I watched until its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. The lion, which has eagle's wings, is the kingdom of Babylon. And it's speaking about the ruler, the king, and the kingdom, the ruler being Nebuchadnezzar. And he watched this lion that had eagle's wings, and both the lion and the eagle are majestic, man. They have power. They're, they're kind of, in their classes, man, they're like the big dogs, you know, the big cheese, the, the ones that you don't mess with, basically. And so he sees them until, until his wings have been plucked off. And do you remember Back in the second chapter, no, it was chapter 4 of Daniel. Daniel, or, or Nebuchadnezzar, had a second dream. And in the second dream, he saw this huge tree, powerful. And man, it, it, it provided shade and, and sustenance for, for so many people. And yet, at one point, it was chopped down. And it says that all its branches were cut off. And all its leaves were stripped from the branches. And if you remember in chapter 4, when, when, when he was kind of sharing this dream and Daniel, 
gets the interpretation, and by that time, him and Nebuchadnezzar have this relationship that, the, that they're close to each other. He's going, man, I don't even want to tell you what this dream means. He says, hey, Daniel, don't be a little baby. Tell me. <laughs> he didn't say it like that, but he, he says, tell me what's going on. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar that he would be humbled for about seven years, and he would live like an animal outside. And so, so his, his wings were plucked off. And for seven years, he lived among the animals outside eating grass. And so for seven years, he was humbled until he was lifted up from the earth. And, and he came back in, into power, and he was given everything back that he had, but he was also given a, a heart that had compassion. Because we read in there that he has a heart towards God and, and, and the fact that he understood that he had been humbled by God. And so it was almost like he got back on his own two feet and he, 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 he was given a heart. A heart of compassion. And so the lion, king of the jungle, the eagle, so majestic in his flight, powerful, and yet, in verse 5, it says, And suddenly another beast, the second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said to it, Arise, devour much flesh. So then there's, there's a bear. And it says that he's raised on one side and has three ribs in his mouth. And this we know from the first dream that this is the Medo-Persian Empire. And we saw a little bit of them back in chapter 6. But this is the next one that comes into power. They are not as... They don't have the splendor of of Babylon, but they've overtaken, overtaken Babylon, but they've kind of destroyed a lot of it. But they're not gold, they're silver. They're a little less. And yet, if you see the, the head, which is smaller, and then you see the Babylonian, or the, the Medo-Persians, that would be the chest and the arms, that they're a little bigger, but they're weaker in, in one sense. They're not like the Babylonians. A bear, which is strong, and can devour much. That, that's what this empire did. They, they went in and they just took over. So if the Babylonian empire was this big, the Medo-Persians were this big. It was huge. And they had been taking ground so fast and so quickly. And so when it says that it raised up one side or one paw above the other, it means because, it's, again, it's the Medes and the Persians, that the, the Persians were much stronger than the Medes, and yet they worked hand in hand together, but one paw or one side was stronger than the other. And when it says that they had three ribs in its mouth, it represented the three major victories that they had over Babylon, over Lydia, and over Egypt. And so again, they had taken even more ground than, than Babylon ever imagined that they could have. 
And so they went out and devoured much flesh, just like a bear would. In verse 6, it says, After this I looked, and there was another, a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And so the leopard, this is the Grecian Empire, the Greek Empire that came in after the Medo-Persians. I didn't put down the dates, and maybe I'll have those next, next week, the, the dates of how long these kingdoms stayed in power. But now that, that the Medo-Persians, and they would, they would go on to, to about, uh, gosh, uh, I'm not even going to give you a date. I want to say it's like the, the early two, uh, 300s, but be that as it may. But, but these guys come into power, the Grecians come into power, and a leopard, it speaks of the swiftness of, of how they run, of how they go after their prey. And the sw swiftness speaks about Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, the, 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 the strategic leader of the Grecian Empire, who in his young age took over so much land. It, it, it ended up that he died at about 33 years old. And yet he was one of the most strategic commanders that ever had lived. That to be able to take so much land, to make it his, and because of his untimely death, the empire had to be separated into, into four different regions. And that's where the four heads come in on this on this beast. The four wings speak of the swiftness, not only of the leopard, but how, how much they, they covered and, and how they, they just kind of got to these places quickly. But the, the, the four heads speak of how they have to divide in four different regions to kind of cover what, what uh, uh, Alexander uh, the Great had left behind. And then it says in verse 7, After this I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. Th this last beast, it's interesting that Daniel can't even give it a name. And it's almost like it freaked Daniel out somewhat, you know? That he couldn't even identify what kind of beast it was. It was more of a, of a monster, if you will. I like the way one commentator put it. It says, apparently, it was a mongrel composed of parts of a lion, a bear, and a leopard, almost all combined into one. And he says that because of Revelation chapter 13, verse 2, when, when, as we will read in a little bit. But it speaks of, of how that beast in that story has a little bit of all of these put together. But what you, we see here is that as these kingdoms are devouring one another and taking what they've already taken, this fourth beast was more cruel than any of the other uh, empires had been. 
Again, if the Babylonian Empire was this big, then the, 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 the Medo-Persians were a little bigger. And when, when the Grecians came in, they took over all of that and, and just a little bit more to the south into, into uh, Africa area. But when the Romans came, came in, it's not so much that they had, they took that and plus more. They kind of left where India and that portion, the Orient, happens. And they kind of left that, but they took over more of what we would know now as Europe area. And so they, they took a whole lot of landmass over on, uh, towards the west. And they became so powerful. The Roman Empire was known to be very, very brutal. And they, and they reigned somewhere about 68, uh, 60 B.C. And they reigned all around up until 4-something A.D. And so they, they were around for quite a long time. The Roman Empire is the empire where when we see Jesus come, in, come into, into the world, they were ruled by the Roman Empire. So the characteristics of this Roman Empire, again, they kind of go along with the, with the, the, the statue that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had where there was iron. And, and iron is, is a strong steel, stronger than gold, stronger than, than the silver and the bronze. The iron is able to break things, break things in pieces, it says. And yet it's interesting because as he sees this beast and he's tripping out on the beast, he kind of focuses on the ten horns that this beast has. And in verse 8, he says, I was considering the horns. And there was another horn, a little horn, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. Turn over, if you will, to, to Romans chapter, to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. I, I want to read to you that whole chapter. And, and I want to read it to you because it kind of goes along with what we're covering in Daniel chapter, chapter 7 tonight. Because you will notice a lot of the same phraseologies. You will see a lot of the same kind of symbolism and, and animals that, that are mentioned here. One of the things that you will note as we read in, in Revelation chapter uh, 13 that when he talks about, as we saw over here, there was, there was the bear or the lion, the bear and the leopard, and then the beast that, that was kind of awful. You, you'll notice that in Revelation chapter 13, you see him in reverse order. And the reason being is because John, who is writing Revelation, Revelation is looking back in history where Daniel is looking forward in history. So Roman, or Revelation chapter 13. 13, it says, Then I, speaking, John speaking, stood on the sand of the seas, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his ten horns crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. 
Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. And his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great and blasphemous, blasphemy, blasphemy, blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. His mouth, then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose name has not been written in whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. He is, here is the patience and faith of the saints. Then I was, I saw another beast coming out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercised all his authority of the first beast in his presence and caused the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performed great signs so that he was he so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to, re to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the number, the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the name of the, the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and the number is 666. So what we see in, in this chapter, and I wanted to read the whole chapter because as we go back, and you can keep your finger there in Revelation a little bit, when we go back to, to Daniel chapter 7, we see some of the similarities 
especially when we get to verse 7 of Daniel chapter 7 and chapter 8, or, uh, and verse 8. We see how, how this, this last beast, which is considered the Roman Empire, the one that was ruling around the time of Jesus and how it dissolved in 4-something A.D., that somehow that, that there's this similarity of what will happen towards the end. And we kind of caught a glimpse of it from verse 9 to about 15, that we see that something goes on between verse 9 and verse 14 that happens between the, 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 the little horn and, and the ancient of days and all of that battle that goes goes on in there. And so we see the similarities between the little horn and the beast, the, the fourth empire. And so when we now look into the future from the last Roman empire, we see the revived Roman empire that comes back into power later on. It has a little bit of all the other empires mixed in them because of all the all the similarities, the characteristics that we see uh, in chapter 13 of, of Revelation. So back in, in our text, in verse 20, where, where did I leave off from? Uh, let me see. Let's, let's read verse 18 to 22. Yeah. It says, but the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Verse 19. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horns which came up before which the three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth, spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I, wa I, I was watching... And the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. And so again, when we look at the similarities between what we just read here and chapter 13, we see that all of this is kind of coming together, that now it kind of looks into the future about a kingdom that should be set up by the ancient of days. But in the meantime, we see this revived Roman Empire kind of taking control of the world. And, and I don't know about you, I don't know how much news you guys listen to, but when you start looking at all the things that are happening, and I know that in a couple of weeks, not this Saturday, the following Saturday, we're going to have a, a prophecy perspective of, of what's going on in our world today. And it's going to be very similar to what we read about the re revived Roman Empire and how there will be this one world government and, and how it will kind of take over, but it will fight against God's people. 
And, and what we're talking about here is mainly the Jewish people. Now, we've seen throughout history that the Jewish people have always been a target. And we've seen some horrific things happen, especially with the Holocaust and all of those kinds of things that we think, man, it can't get any worse. And yet it will. And, and, and you almost kind of take a step back and go, how can it possibly be worse? But it does. And it really, you know, you kind of wonder, it's like, God, why would you allow that to happen? And yet he's told us this from the foundations, from the beginning. Here we're reading about Daniel that happened hundreds of years before Christ was ever born thousands of years to this point right now and yet he has been giving us warnings and not just for us as believers to know this but to for the the Jewish people as well to know what he has said about what's going to happen to them Daniel was concerned for his own people and yet God says I will see you through every empire I will see you through every tribulation God is always on Israel's side and as Daniel is watching all of this come to pass, it, it bums him out that his people will have to go through that. He's already in captivity because of the disobedience of his kings, of the kings and the people. He's already in that place, and yet he is looking into the future of what will happen. Now, the crazy thing is, is that Daniel is writing this. John is looking back. Daniel is looking forward. And yet, as Daniel is watching all this, he can't even imagine how ugly it's going to be. He's already in captivity. How worse is it going to be for my people? And yet, through it all, God will always have a remnant watching over his people. It seems that, that the world will get the best of the church, or, or not the church, but of, of the uh, Jewish people. And yet, to some extent, it will. But I like what verse 18 told us, that the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. And it tells us in verse 20, uh, 22, after we hear about uh, this beast making war, against the saints and prevailing against them until the ancient of day comes or came and judgment was made in favor of the saints of the most high and so we see that even through all of this everything that happens to the jewish nation at the end it wins it really does i was talking to one of the brothers that we'll be sharing at this at this uh, uh, prophecy perspective and i was telling him how you know, through the whole stuff that we were dealing with here in the end, as believers, we still win. <laughs> Even in the midst of the ugliness, we still win. And we might not see the victory here, but we will see it in the end. And one of the things that, again, when you're looking at prophecies like this, you go, okay, how, how should I live today? <laughs> well, how, how does that apply to my life today? Well, the faithfulness of God applies to us because just as Daniel was foreseeing these kingdoms and these empires in the future, they came to pass exactly the way he said they would come to pass. And if that is true, 
And we know that it is because not just biblical history, but, but secular history proves that, that the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Grecians, the Romans, that they had come into power. If all of that is true, then what's to say that the rest of it is not true? That he will one day come back for his church. That he will one day set up his kingdom here on earth. That after the millennial kingdom, that one day we will all live together with him for all of eternity. And so this is what prophecy does. It encourages us because Daniel was foretelling, foretelling the future and it happened exactly the way God showed it to him. And so in that, even though we see that the Jewish people will go through a lot, they will win at the end because they are still God's people. And even though we're living in the age of the church, God has not forgotten about his nation, Israel. And when we go into the great tribulation, all of it turns towards God's people, Israel, once again. And he draws them to himself once again. And so the upside is that we as the church, we win because we are Christ's. The upside for Israel is because they are still God's people, one day he will bring them through the great tribulation and he will still draw them to himself. And so with that, let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this portion of scripture, Lord. Father, I pray, God, that you would just continue to encourage us even when we go through portions of scripture like this, Lord, that that give us so much information Lord, I, I, I just am blown away at the fact that, that you spoke to Daniel, that you ministered to him in such a powerful way to reveal to him what he had already interpreted some 40 years earlier. And yet, Lord God, we see that all of this that you showed him came to pass. Lord, not only the splendor, the facade of these kingdoms, but also their characteristics and the type of kingdoms that they were. The brutality, Lord God, of mankind and what they do to one another. Lord, we, we, we know that because we are fallen people, that all of these things come to pass, and yet there's times that you interrupt, there's times that you intervene, there's times that you just pluck out, Lord. And yet there's times, Lord God, that you allow all this to play out because of your sovereignty. And so, Lord, we trust you. We believe in you, Lord. We pray that, God, even scriptures like this would strengthen our faith, that you are faithful and you will continue to be faithful. Lord, I don't know what my brothers and sisters are dealing with today. I don't know what they're battling with right now. But, Lord, as you are faithful to tell us how all this would play out. I pray that you would be faithful in the lives of my brothers and sisters right now and encourage them, I pray. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.